Well, obviously this morning, Chris will have more information about this. We have our trunk and treat, which will be held on our church property. We own nine and a half acres debt-free just off North Broadway, caddy corner to this school right here. And we'll be having our trunk and treat this evening. And as you can tell, there is a lot of excitement. And uh, there may be more excitement for the adults who get to take, I call it the daddy tax. I get all the candy from, I get much of the candy from the children because uh, the tax, taxes are just so high right now. So, um, uh, and so there's going to be a great uh, excitement for that. And as you can tell with our children, they're excited about it. And the, the grand conversation in our house right now is, or has been, what will I be for Halloween? Right? This has been taking up so much energy and time and thought in our home. And uh, for all of my children, uh, the answer to that question has come in different ways. My youngest scout... I think she's known for a full year that she was going to be a mermaid. There has been no doubt, there has been no wavering in her decision. What will I be for Halloween? It has been a mermaid from the beginning. My son has gone through various iterations of what he wants to be, but he landed on a red Power Ranger because you can't have any other color apparently. It has to be a red one, which came after Batman, which came after Flash, which came after something else. But when Deadline came, he decided on the Red Power Ranger. My oldest daughter is going to be a mom. She wants to be a mom uh, for Halloween, which came with a... I think this decision came because she saw the benefits. Uh, She saw the wardrobe upgrade. She saw the Starbucks that was in her future for being this because she has to play the part correctly. Now, my my Lucy has had the most difficult time deciding what she's going to be for Halloween. This has been torturous in so many ways, not only for her, but for her parents as well, trying to decide what she's going to be. I think she's landed on a tooth fairy, but if she's something else tonight, do not be surprised. But I think it's a tooth fairy. And the only reason she made that decision is because her mother gave her a list of options. And over a course of at least two weeks... Lucy began to whittle down the the list of options of what she would be. And just this past week, she finally made the decision that she would be a tooth fairy. And and, and she kind of worked out all the different pieces and everything else. Now, I bring all this up because in a lot of ways, at every age, we don't really grow out of trying to figure out what we will be. And I get to work with high schoolers uh, just about every day, and this is one of the grand questions of, of the younger generation, right? What will I be? What am I going to do? We might start asking the question this way, what is my purpose or what is my calling? Generally, it all comes out of the same premise, the same question, what will I be? And no matter the age we may be, we start to wrestle with, well, what, am I, what costume am I going to wear? What am I going to be? What am I going to do? What is this thing that, that I'm here for? And we begin to phrase the question differently in different moments and seasons of life, but we, sit, we generally ask that question, and we struggle with it in so many different ways. Now, some of us in this room... We may have known from the very earliest days of our life what we were going to be. We knew our purpose. We knew where we were going to have to go. Some of us, we just had to make a decision. Now we live with it. Some of us really struggle, even to this day, what we will be. What is my calling? What is my purpose? Might be those questions as well. And so all of this, all of these questions kind of lend into this life because in our lives, we want to do our absolute best. 
And more than that, we want to be people who live the purpose that we believe we were meant to live. That we want to be people who do what God has called us to do. And so, great, great strides and, and, and pressure and grief have been spilled over us asking, what will I be? What's my purpose? Or what's my calling? Um, we all know, of course, um, the grand truth. Uh, quote, there's no greater gift than you can give or receive than to honor your calling. It's why you were born, and it's how you become most truly alive. End quote. We know that, from, we know that to be true because it's from the book of Oprah which I find to be a lot of hogwash. There's no greater gift than to give or to receive your calling. Now, we buy into this, whether we admit it or not, to some some degree, to some level, but it's not true. You see, one of the grand problems that we have is that we think there is a silver bullet answer to the question, what is my purpose and what is my calling? And if we don't have that answered, then we're not living into our true self, whatever that really means. And we think that we have to be people who can define and answer without a doubt, what is my purpose? I did a simple Google search this week which isn't always the best theological research, but here I felt like it was necessary. And I googled, what's my calling? I wanted to know what the interwebs had to say to this. I was struck by 531 million different websites to that question. What's my calling? An endless list of hows and whys and to-dos and questions to help us answer this question, what's my calling? Because if we don't have that answered, then there is no greater gift. We can't honor our lives or the people around us according to this world. I want us to hear today, and I want us to know this. You were not born to give yourself the gift of honoring your calling, whatever that is. You are here because you have purpose in Jesus Christ alone. Now, I'm tempted to stop there and offer the invitation, but I do have more things to say, so I'm a preacher and I will continue. So let's turn our attention to Scripture. Scripture does discuss purpose, it does discuss calling, it does discuss the will of God. And Colossians, in the beginning of Colossians 1, it helps us understand this just a little more. So I want us to think about this, and I want us to put it this way. That when we begin to answer the question, what is our calling... And we have to have a specific answer. We have to have a tight reason. We have to know without a shadow of a doubt what that purpose is. What we ultimately are trying to answer is, what am I supposed to do? And what you are supposed to do is up kind of thinking. In other words, it's thinking out of order. It's thinking before you answer the root down thought. Paul would say that when we begin to try to answer the question, what is purpose and what is my calling in this life, by what we do, we are using human tradition, 
or we're using the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. What Paul might say fits into reflection and conversation about our calling in our life would be that every one of us, this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, ought to be clothed. Clothed with a heavenly dwelling, verse 4. Because out of that, faith guides us. It moves us to live more like Christ. And when we live more like Christ, what do we do? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, we live to give the ministry of reconciliation. To put it this way, we grow down. We think down because we're rooted down because we have been clothed with the only thing that matters, Jesus Christ. It's not maybe the specificity that you want, but it is truth. You see, we want tailored costumes because we want to know that when we put it on, we live it the way we're supposed to. Now, the problem with this line of thinking is this. One, it discounts what we're supposed to be clothed in, which is heavenly dwelling. It discounts where Jesus is in the process or or Jesus is in the midst of our lives. And more than anything else, the specificity discounts the truth that if God actually leads us to places we don't want to go, we're not going to go. How many times have you struggled with what your purpose or what your calling is or what job you should take or where you should move or how you should function or where you should go or any of these kinds of questions? And ultimately, when the answer is, well, I don't really don't want to do that, you answer it no. Okay, let's, let's illustrate it this way with one of the greatest TV shows of all time, The Office. Now, you know um, uh, the boss, Michael, he's on a sales day with Dwight. If you've never seen the show, it's okay because this is hands down my favorite scene of the entire show. Michael is on a, a day of sales calls with one of his employees. They are 0 for 6 on their sales calls. He's down. He doesn't understand. But Michael is going to listen to the one voice that's going to give him instruction on where to go. Let's, let's watch this about one minute clip. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I thought this would work. Through everything I had at that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know. You lose everything, and everything falls apart, and eventually you die, and no one remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No. Up there. It said right. It said take a right. No, 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 no. Look, it it means go up. To the right, bear right over the bridge and hook up with 307. Make a right. Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's Look, a lake there. I think it knows where straight. it is going. This is the, the machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's Stop not yelling. There's no road here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U turn if possible. Look out for Layton. Right up. Are you okay? Swim for it! I got you! I got you! Michael! 
trying to get out of water happens for a few more seconds. So, Now think about the absurdity of what just happened. Right? The voice said, go here. Logic says, don't go here. Michael listens to the voice. Now listen and think about the absurdity of what Jesus says to each and every one of us as his disciples. He says, follow me. There is no agenda. There's no map. There is simply, follow me. And if that voice that said, follow me, said, turn right, and you see the lake, and you don't want to go in the lake, each and every one of us are going to use our logic and say, nope, not going to do it. And Jesus says, take a right. Now, if Jesus is more specific, let's say uh, Luke chapter 9, when Jesus says, um, he says, that's well, not on my notes. So whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, there's the kind of specificity that some of us want in answering the question, what is my purpose or my calling? But that's not the kind of specificity we want. That doesn't fit into my agenda or to where I want to go. I'd rather bear right rather than turn right. And Jesus is saying that what life looks like in Him may not be exactly the way you want it to go. As we dive into this book of Colossians using this idea, the whole book is built around this one idea. Continue to live your lives in Him. That is Jesus Christ. This is why Paul writes the letter. He wants the church to do what they have been doing more and more, which is live in Him, and not to take on anything else of the world. So, we can ask ourselves, where does this lead us? What am I supposed to do then in Christ? What am I supposed to do in Jesus? What's God calling me to do if I'm supposed to continue to live in Him, which in Colossians 2 means being rooted down in Him and to Him alone? Now, Google search isn't going to help us here. Endless thoughts and lists and questions like, who is doing your dream job and what is your dream job? A real question I found, which is zero help in this situation, is not going to help us. No? What Paul says is the only thing you're going to need to help answer that question. Jesus Christ. So his desire, Paul's desire for the church in Colossae is to know that they are his. And that they ought to live like his. So at the beginning of his letter to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 verse 9, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, Paul has been praying for this church for quite some time. The beginning of this letter proves that. That Paul's never had a chance to meet them or be with them or see them face to face. But ever since he's heard about chapter 1 verse 4, their faith in Christ Jesus and the love that they have for all the saints, he has been praying for them. 
that he's recognized also that this is a church that is in the middle of a gospel-centered movement that is, quote, bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Chapter 1, verse 6. And so, Paul says, since I heard about you and your reputation, I have not stopped praying for you. And what's Paul's specific prayer for this church? To know the will of God. He wants them to more fully and more wholly and more completely understand God's will for their lives. Now, if we can use the example of language that I've used already in this lesson, Paul's saying, you have your costume on, and that is you are clothed in Jesus Christ. And now that you have that costume, live the will of God. Remember, Jesus has changed everything. He is a part of you. He is now with you. He is at the center of all things, and He bears fruit from you. So keep going. Keep moving. Don't forget who you are because of Christ. Now Paul is saying, I'm praying that you fully acknowledge, you fully know the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now here's where I want to take away here. This is what I'd like us to take away. As we try to answer what is my purpose or will, God's will isn't found in what you do. I'm going to repeat the first part. The will of God is not known in what you do. It's found in Jesus, the one who's changed everything. So some of us are thinking, well, that seems like a lot of preacher talk and doesn't really help answer the question, what's the will of God in my life? What am I supposed to be doing? Well, Paul helps us with that too. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul goes on. Paul says, I want you to know that I've been praying for you to know the will of God so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Paul's prayer is to know the will of God by living out the will of God. If you want to know your purpose, if you want to know your calling, then you must know more fully how to live like Jesus today. And so it goes like this, Josh. It goes, they connect. Knowing fully the will of God fuels living like Christ, and living like Christ informs your knowledge of your will. You can't have one without the other. There's probably a song there somewhere. That to know your will, you've got to start living like the one who's changed you or living more like the one who's changed everything in your life. Could it be that the will of God in your life is to live a life worthy of the Lord? Period. Could it be that your purpose in this life is to know that Jesus has changed everything and what you decide to do reflects a life worthy of the Lord or not? So ask yourself, is my purpose rooted in Jesus? 
Now, Travis, what does this mean for my career? What does this mean for my major? What does this mean for the paycheck that I wish I had or the status I'd like to have? Or what does this mean for all the goals that I would like to achieve in my life? This really doesn't help decide what's next for me. Sure it does. Are you living a life worthy of Christ in what you do today? And if your answer is honestly no, then you have to start wrestling with what does it look like to know the will of God more fully so that you can live a life worthy of Christ. And when you begin to live a life more like Christ, you'll begin to know more fully the will of God. Paul actually helps us to find this even further as he goes on in Colossians chapter 1. I want you to know the will of God so that you may live a life worthy of Christ. And please Him in every way. Now, your Bible most likely has a colon right there. Please Him in every way. Here's what it looks like to please God in every way, to live a life worthy of Christ. Now, uh, picking up at the end of verse 10, let me read this, these couple of verses. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Here's what I'd like to do. I want to break down those four things that it looks like to live a life worthy of Christ, of God, and I want to do that by simply reading out of Colossians in different passages, because Paul uses these four examples of what it looks like to live a life worthy in Christ and please Him in every way. This is how he writes the letter to the church. He uses this as his foundation to continue in his letter and writing. And so I'm not going to comment, or comment very much, but I want us to hear how Paul expresses these ideas of living a life worthy of Christ, bearing fruit in every good work. Colossians 3, picking up in verse 12, Paul says, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. And if any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. A life that bears fruit. Secondly, Paul says, Increase in the knowledge of God. An attribute of living a life worthy. 
Colossians 2.2, 2, Paul says, my goal, he's talking about the greater area that the church in Colossae is in, but my goal, Paul says, is that they, the other folks, other people, may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches and complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Paul also says it this way in Colossians 3, verses 1-4, through since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Thirdly, Paul says, being strengthened with all power. When you live a life worthy of Christ, you are living a life strengthened from the power of God. Colossians 2, picking up in verse 13. Paul reminds us that when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Living a life worthy of God is one knowing that your strength comes from Christ on the cross. And fourthly, giving thanks to the Father. Colossians 1, verse 24-26, through 26, Paul says, I rejoice and what I'm suffering for you. Paul writes from prison. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Paul says, a life gives thanks in every circumstance, even one from prison. Now the point of this, and hopefully you found value in hearing Scripture and hearing Paul's message to know God's will more fully is to living in a life that reflects and worthy of Jesus. And to live a life worthy of Christ, we must know that God's will for us is to be changed by Christ. You've been clothed already. You have your costume on already. And the grand question is not what will I be? The question is how will I live in Him? Because whatever it is you are doing, whatever it is you have in life, and whatever it is you have decided to be in this place at this time, whatever it is going on in your life, if you can't ask yourself, am I living a life worthy of Christ, then you are in God's will. I want to end where Paul begins this letter. I'm almost done, I promise. With prayer. 
Paul begins this letter to the church by telling them that he has heard about them and he has not stopped praying for them. And his prayer is that they will know more fully the will of God and they will live that life because Jesus has changed everything. So in with some practicality, just like Paul begins, perhaps the greatest thing you can do in asking yourself and seeking the answer to what is your purpose or what's the will of God in your life, perhaps the greatest thing you can do is pray. Perhaps the best thing is pray. Because when you're in prayer, you're with God. When you're in prayer, you're in the presence of the Creator. And when you're in prayer, the Creator is with you. And when you are in prayer, it's not about what you have to say. It's about the presence of God amongst you in that moment. And in prayer, perhaps you can ask that question. And in prayer, with the presence of God with you, perhaps God then will push you, nudge you, remind you. In prayer, we are with God. And so to more fully know the will of God, we have to do something that seems a little illogical and different in a lot of different ways. We have to grow down. You see, answering that question, the world says, well, you've got to think up. You've got to think differently. You've got to think about all the things that come in. And Jesus and, and Paul in the, in the letter to, of Colossians is saying, you've got to start thinking down. And a down thought is praying first. Praying to know the will of God. Praying to live a life more worthy of Jesus Christ. Perhaps it is being in the presence of God that will change how you live the outcome of your life. Because that's what Paul does, right? We have one more scripture. Paul ends his prayer section in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He says this. He wants the church to be reminded of this. He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness. And He's transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There is your purpose. There's your calling. Jesus has changed everything. I'm going to make myself available in the back of this cafeteria. Brandon's going to lead us in another song. We're going to stand together. And I want to invite you to respond to God's Word, to the letter that Paul wrote to the church. And I want you to respond to the Spirit of God in this place. If you need this church or myself, I'll be available in the back. But I want you to take a moment during the singing of this song and ask yourself, are you living a life worthy of Christ? Take time to be in the presence of God. Let's stand together and let's sing.